0: At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and
1: welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough of the insanity in Christianity, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding insane faith grounded in reality and working to make the world better in tangible ways. If you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of
0: sarcasm
1: and also a bit of this, then welcome home. We're glad you're here. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the problematic nature of having an abstract But before we descend into the snark, just a reminder that this broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at snarkyfaith.com or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Amazon, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, we're there and we're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. So kicking things off today, I've got a bit of housekeeping. Well, not really housekeeping here for the show, but really it's, it's a request. It's a request from you, my dear listeners. If you enjoy the show, what I'm gonna ask of you, I ask, I ask casually here and there on the show, but I want to ask you, here's my call to action for you. I want you to go, if you enjoy the show, over to Apple Podcasts and drop a review. Now, the only reason I bring this up was because this, I'm not trying to be nitpicky here, but I do find this slightly amusing because we recently, when I say recently, it was a little while back, got a negative review. Claiming on our show here that the sarcasm is a bit much. Tried to listen as I understand the Western Church has issues. I found the sarcasm to be off-putting, which clouded what I could hear as emerging good subject matter. Now, now, here's my only bone to pick. Does the dude know or do that even know what the word snarky means? Let's let's just go ahead here. Oxford, Oxford Dictionary. Snarky. Critical or mocking in an indirect or sarcastic way. Ha! So yeah, you if anyone out there has problems with a show having too much sarcasm, if you listen to the intro, you are warned. And again, yeah, sarcasm. It's kind of like, it's kind of like my sweet spot in ministry. Like I I traffic in sarcasm and snark, because again, the show is called Snarky Faith. End rant. So yes, yes, you delightful listeners out there, if it it begs at your heart, if my plea moves you to action, yeah, please, go ahead, drop us one. Drop us a good review. Thank you. That's my end to the call of action. Well, I hope everyone is doing well this week. I'm actually doing swimmingly well. What I, what I was noticing, and you know, in some instance, I can say, thank God for global warming. I know, I know I'm a selfish bastard for saying that. But I like how, what I, if you've noticed this, oftentimes, I enjoy, I don't usually post these, but I do enjoy when Facebook's like, hey, Stuart, 10 years ago, seven years ago, you posted this. And luckily, what I get to do is kind of gives us a like a way to reminisce about things of the past. So I'm able to like send my kids, hey, look, wasn't this cute? Wasn't this funny? Oh, look at you from back in the day. I like doing that with my family. What I noticed today was seven years ago today, our ground here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina was covered in snow. My kids are playing in the snow. Now, as I'm recording this right now, it's 75 degrees outside. Beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful. And I love it when the warm weather gets coming. It is coming. Spring is here. So I hope everyone's doing well. I'm excited to get back to gardening and everything else. So I hope everyone is is doing great in your respective areas of the world. Now, today's show I talked about, we're going to be talking about abstract faith. We've got a lot to dig into. So let's go ahead and hit up what's happening in the news. In the news. So this is a place where we scour the news here looking for, eh, how is Christianity doing terrible in the news? How is Christianity missing the point? Which you can kind of see is a huge theme of this show. Well, this one, this one article comes directly from CNN. And you may have heard about this. This is crazy. Now, there was a pastor that has been baptizing people for decades, but he's been using a wrong word. Now, the Catholic Church is saying, uh-uh, buddy. Uh-uh, buddy. All those baptisms, null and friggin' void. That's right. This is legalism 101 at its finest. So the article on CNN begins by saying this. A Catholic priest has resigned after a church investigation found he performed invalid baptisms throughout most of his more than 20-year career, according to Bishop Thomas uh, Olmsted, in the Diocese of Phoenix. Now, Father Andrus Arengo, who performed thousands of baptisms, would say, now catch, catch this, catch this. It's very important. He would say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh no, but Olmsted explained the words we baptize should have been I baptized. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Do you know why? Well, they go ahead and say why. The issue with using we is that it's not the community that baptizes a person. Rather, it's Christ and him alone who, provide, who presides at the sacraments. And so it is Christ Jesus who baptizes. Well done, Catholic Church. Oh, well done. Way to miss the entire point of baptism. Like, I love, I love, I love Just the the fingers of legalism that are just digging into things here with this situation. Like, seriously, seriously, seriously. 20 years. You're going to go and tell everyone in this church that was baptized here, that that had a meaningful service, that when that happened, screw you, it didn't count. It doesn't matter. (sighs) This is why we talk about this kind of stuff on the show. Because I just scratch my head going what are we even doing in Christianity anymore? Like, why are we navel-gazing and going after this? Because honestly, to some degree, in my experience, too, baptism, you are doing this as a public declaration in front of the we community out here, and it's, it's a communal thing that comes together. So yeah, the we, the I, ah, you guys are missing the point. But you know what? There's some other Christians missing the point. This article is entitled, A Tennessee Couple's Struggle to Adopt Shows Religious Freedom is Under Siege in America. It's also at CNN as well. And we have this Tennessee couple. They are denied access to a state-sponsored foster parent certification program simply because they're Jewish. And the adoption agency is Christian. Yes, yes. And I'll I'll read you some of the quotes before. I'm just gonna rage on this because this this pisses me off on so many different levels. so they were asking the organization, hey, hey, why, why are you doing this to these people? Well, here's what they said. As a Christian organization, our executive team made the decision several years ago to only provide, only provide prospective adoptive families that share our belief system in order to avoid conflicts or delays with future service delivery. Ooh, ooh, service delivery. <laughs> Aren't these people we're talking about? All right. Continuing on, uh, Holston Home places children with families that agree with our statement of faith and forcing Holston Home to violate our beliefs and place children in homes that do not share our faith is wrong and contrary to a free society. Now, they note in the article, the agency, though it is a religious organization, receives taxpayer funding and assists families on behalf of the Tennessee Department of Children's Services, which also declined to comment to the Washington Post on this story. So what we have here, and, and see, when I lived, when I used to live in Washington and was working for a nonprofit, we did a lot of work with foster care agencies in our community. Now, with, when you're dealing with foster care and adoption agencies, you know what really matters the most? The kids. The kids. Now, sadly, sadly, you would hope, you would hope that Christians were wanting to open their homes to be able to invite these kids into their homes Not necessarily to indoctrinate them, but because it's the right thing to do. And also at the same time, are these other families going to love them and raise them? Yes, yes, yes. No, 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 no. We're a Christian adoption agency. We need to make sure that we feel comfortable with where these kids are going. There are so many kids in the system that need families. This this kind of damming up in the name of Jesus, kind of the flow for finding prospective families to love and raise these children. This agency like stopping that flow because it makes them feel more comfortable that families abide by their statement of beliefs. What an anti-Christian thing to be able to do, right? Like the idea of loving the neighbor and loving those in need and helping those in need. Oh no, we only like to help Christians this is just patently sick. It's just sick and it disgusts me. And this isn't the first time that that's happened with Christian adoption agencies. This happens again and again and again. And my biggest beef with all of this is it's fine if you're gonna do that, but do not accept any government dollars. If you're gonna be able to play the religion card, my religion allows me to be an a-hole to other people and screw the kids. It's about my beliefs, right? Then just don't take the money from the government. Don't do that. Don't do that. You can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. Oh, if you thought that's bad, this also disgusts me. (laughs) This is an article coming from lgbtqnation.com. And mm, title says it all, and it's sick, and it's sick, and it's sick. So there's over 2,500 Christian ministers have signed a letter demanding the right to practice conversion therapy. Yes. So yes, the article says this. Thousands of Christian pastors have signed a letter demanding to be allowed to keep trying to turn LGBTQ people straight, arguing that conversion therapy is, quote, kind and merciful. Uh, The UK Parliament is considering a ban on conversion therapy, a practice that has been denounced by mainstream mental health professionals, organizations, as damaging to LGBTQ people. But there is a group of uh, 2,546 Christian ministers that have written the government saying that being able to try to change one's sexual orientation is part of their religion. What? Like what? I, what? So conversion therapy is part of your faith? Like, this is part of your faith in practice? <laughs> this is insane. This is insane. This is why we talk about these crazy things, because these... These things are absolutely batshit crazy and they have nothing to do with the teachings in the gospel of Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing. These are just folks that are operating out of their own comfort zones. Why is this? Why is this? You may ask. Well, it's because modern day Christianity uh, would rather, would rather get their way, be comfortable. Because actually, doing the things Jesus said, those kind of things, those things are hard, right? Those are hard. We don't want to do those things. No, we want to boss people around and make people feel inferior. And if you think all of this is bad, it's only going to get worse before it gets better. So buckle up, boys and girls, because, 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 we've got to hop into, what is it, anyone, anyone, anyone? the choicest cuts of christian nuts that's right the christian
0: crazy of the week if loving the lord is wrong i don't want to be right lord have the lord is my shepherd he knows what i want
1: oh this is a space where we get to roast those nuts yes first of all we were talking about Horrible examples of Christianity played out in the news. Now, now we're gonna let the pastors speak for themselves. Yes, we're gonna let the pastors use their own words and their bad forms of grifter theology that they like to push out onto their congregants. Oh, yes, we've got the pastors, we've got the prophets. So before we get in too deep. I always like to do this. It's kind of like something that we do on a regular basis. You're really kind of checking in with them prophets and saying, hey, hey, how are you guys doing? How are you guys doing with all those prophecies that didn't work out? How are you doing with the fact that Trump is not in office? Oh, you doing well? Are you doing well? We know they're not doing well. Case in point, Hank Kuhneman, he's the king of BS,
0: and Hank is pissed. He is pissed. Donald Trump needs to come back. It's, it's an outrage that we're even talking about that he has to come back in 2024. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves as Americans. You mean to tell me that you can do the greatest act of treason in the world and and, and, and ignore it? I'm not saying that about Lance, I'm saying it about our country. And ignore it. He is rightfully the president. He deserves to be. Back in power, and I think it's an absolute outrage, an embarrassment, and I and I think it's wrong for our children and our country that we even have to talk about 2022 and 2024.
1: Oh, it's an outrage that we have to talk about the years 2022 and 2024 because we had hoped that Trump would have brought on the apocalypse and we'd all be dead right now, right? Oh, but really, really, Hanky, what's getting you mad? I think. I think Hank is really still having a little, mm, oh, it's kind of like prophetic erectile dysfunction or perfectile dysfunction. Oh, he does. He does. His perfectile dysfunction is making him unable to be able to perform as a prophet. Oh, no. Oh, Hank. I mean, it may happen with a guy your age. It's okay. It's okay. No, I'm being serious. This whole thing which I think is kind of beautiful in a weird 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 sense this is actually reminded of Netflix has a new series called Inventing Anna the series is about a grifter yes 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 Anna Sorokin who grifted her way into the new york elite and it goes through her whole trial the whole thing is is dramatized etc etc but the thing that like stuck out to me about the whole thing and about her story is is this is this notion of when you lie so much you actually begin to believe your own lies is really kind of what it got me out of the whole thing to where Even at the end, even at the end, as she's like listening through all of these charges being read against her for stealing money and grifting people, right? She still, still, still believes in her lies. And that's the problem with a lot of these prophets. They still, I, I feel like at one point, I would have let all of them off the hook if they were to be like, oh yeah, we got it wrong. Sorry, sorry. We, we got caught up in this and it was all wrong. But instead, they've doubled and tripled and quadrupled down in in all of these weird, weird lying manner, all to avoid saying the simplest thing, which is also kind of a cornerstone of Christianity. This idea of kind of asking for forgiveness and like understanding where you've gone wrong. (laughs) You'd think the prophets would have, (laughs) would be able to grasp this well. Oh, no. Oh, no. They double and triple and quadruple down and just keep lying and spin it deeper and deeper and deeper. Now, moving to our next example, this is a topic I never thought I was going to have to address directly, like directly in reality today, like in 2022. I never thought I was going to have to talk about the satanic Panic 2.0 That's happening in America right now Right? Do you remember that? Like the 80s, like late 70s and 80s There was a whole satanic panic Ah, Satan's everywhere Ah, 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 oh no Oh no, the devil's everywhere Well guess what Boys and girls, the devil's
0: back The satanic panic Is back Satanists today have encroached into every level of society Your mailman might be a satanist I believe in lawrence and I believe in you, but I'm still going to carry my gun because I'm scared. Gun sales doubled. I'm very upset. It's frightening. I'm scared. The school district
1: is banning skulls, witches, brooms, and the like because of parent concerns that some Halloween costumes can be linked to devil worship and satanic cults. Oh, yes. This is bringing me back to my childhood. This is my sweet spot, people, right? Anyone remember this? Like, anyone old enough to remember back when... Ooh, in our churches, we were looking into finding Satan everywhere. Do you remember backmasking? Anyone? This is really going to date my age here. Backmasking, where where they would play records and cassette tapes backwards. Satan's going to kill you. Nier,ier,ier. You know, and they would try to find messages that were somehow hidden subliminally because our brains listen to the backwards messages on things because that's how hypnosis. That's not okay. It was nonsense. It was absolute nonsense. It was nonsense back in the day. But I remember i remember being in fifth grade and being a part of my little Baptist church as a kid and even having a class launch. Ooh, it was a special class on being able to avoid Satan and backmasking and the music. Oh, the music. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> Satan's everywhere. Yeah. My mom, I know, I know. This is one of my deep trauma points. My mom, even in her own satanic panic, right? This is before Easter. Christmas Stewart, little Christmas Stewart gets Castle Grayskull and a bunch of He-Man things. Before Easter, mom hears at church that He-Man is evil. And guess what happens? All my Christmas presents get thrown away because really the Christian crazy is only about me. I'm kidding. <laughs> but I lived through this. I lived through this where I like I wasn't even that sheltered of a kid, but like my mom would like not let me listen to certain like pop music or rap music or rock music, and it was all like Satan's around every corner. And guess what? Guess what? The witches and the demons are back. Now, if you're keeping up on your news at all. You know where this is going. You know I'm going to talk about Greg Locke. Pastor Greg Locke, who is no, no, no. He is no stranger to the Christian crazy. Because Christian and crazy summarizes the essence that is Greg Locke. Mm-hmm. That and maybe some Axe body spray. I don't know. I don't know. That's kind of his vibe. But we'll get to Greg. We'll get to Greg in a minute. We're going to break that one down. So what I've noticed lately, though, and I think I think Locke He may have been the trendsetter in this because there's other prophets that are out there worried about witches all of a sudden. Witches are everywhere. Witches are doing this. Witches are back in vogue. Call Salem. Come on, people. So yes, we talked about last week how Greg Locke was burning books at his church because of Satanism and everything else. Now, we also know, because hopefully we're all rational human beings, that a lot of this Satanic panic uh, especially from these prophets, preachers, and grifters, it ends up being a way to be able to say, hey, hey, "Hey, don't pay attention to what I'm doing here." But I really, what really makes me mad is I honestly feel like they are stealing a bit from the TV show "What We Do in the Shadows." If you're not watching it; fantastic show. Uh, What We Do in the Shadows is a comedy series that's shot like a documentary, kind of feel like The Office feel, but it's about modern-day vampires that are all idiots, right? Okay, now, in this, in this, so I'm gonna play this. Now, this is, again, not Christian crazy, but oh, does it fit so well. So listen to these fictitious vampires make fun of another vampire for their issue about thinking that witches are behind everything bad that happens.
0: It's witches. They have taken him. I can feel it on the inside of my bones. Uh, I'm not saying that Nadja is hysterical, but she blames everything on witches. <sighs> witches are near. Witch dust. <sighs> oh, it stinks. Nobody breathe it in. It's how they seize control of your minds. We're gonna to have to burn the garden. Get. So yes,
1: yes, yes.
0: That classic,
1: that classic excuse of just blaming it on witches, right? Let's 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 check this out, okay? Okay, let's think about this. So, uh, what? Who do you blame? Who do you blame if you have some sexual misconduct allegations coming against you? What do you do, Perry Stone, prophet who
0: also has? Sexual allegations coming against you? Who do you blame? Who do you think? People are spending up to 6 to 10 hours a day on social media. And they go to this blog and they go to that blog and they get this information and that information. And the sad thing is, I know for an absolute fact there is some misinformation, complete misinformation, on blogs and internet sites, but people believe, because somebody said it, it must be true. Uh, QUIT FOLLOWING FOOLISH PEOPLE ON THE INTERNET. THERE ARE PEOPLE YOU NEED TO BLOCK. PEOPLE THAT ARE DESTROYING THE CHURCH, THE BODY OF CHRIST. THERE ARE WITCHES AND SATANISTS that THAT ARE IN A CONSPIRACY ACTUALLY POSING AS CHRISTIANS IN SOME INSTANCES. AND PEOPLE ARE FOLLOWING THESE PEOPLE. BLOCK THEM. HAVE NOTHING TO DO WITH THEM. YOU CANNOT SPEND EIGHT HOURS READING DEPRESSING INFORMATION AND EXPECT FOR YOUR SPIRIT TO BE UPLIFTED.
1: So what's this depressing information that he does not want any of his followers doing? That he does not want people on blogs on the internet looking after? Oh, yeah, all the sexual allegations that are coming against him. It must be them witches. I love it when conspiracy theory people are like, hey, get off the internet. Stop looking at blogs. Oh, that's misinformation. I'm the one with the information and my information says, don't read about what they're printing about me. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Perry, oh, Perry, Perry. Perry actually led us, led us to this whole deeper conversation on witches in the church and Greg Locke. Now, I'm also gonna push back a bit because honestly, I, I'm i actually friends with two people that are witches and they're actually quite nice. And really, yeah, yeah. They seem to be nice people that try to do nice things in the world around them. So, Greg Locke, Why are you coming out against witches? Hmm, are we covering up against something else? I don't know. I don't know. But here, here's what we're going to do. Okay, here's how we're going to break this down. So I'm going to do this in kind of reverse order. So first clip, we're going to listen to Greg Locke. This is Greg Locke, the pastor preaching from the pulpit about some stuff that may be coming out. But again, witches!
0: I really just want to share a few thoughts, some things that are on my heart because of the controversy that is brewing week by week and literally day by day, if not hour by hour and moment by moment, especially after you do things uh, so uh, biblically yet boldly as we did on Sunday. It's caused a lot of uh, media barrage, uh, a lot of speculation, a lot of assumptions. And that's what happens when you take a video and you splice it all up. And then everybody that calls themselves believers and followers of Christ follow a man that's a known atheist 100% that actually splices the video up, puts it out there and says, look at this crazy guy. And when you get the church following atheism and against a pastor, you know there's some spiritual warfare in the house. There is no doubt about that. You better choose a side and figure out whose side you're on. Because Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me.
1: Yeah, but that was Jesus saying that if you're not for me, you're not against me and not Greg Locke saying that. So, hey, 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 you're not Jesus. You're not Jesus, little man. Let's just let's just let's just take it down. Let's take it down a notch because I know it's not very easy for him to take it down a notch. Right. Okay, so Yosemite Sam. Let's kind of lay out what's happening here. So what this is, this is, is a great example for us to be able to see. What does gas lighting look like in a church, especially when a pastor's trying to cover his ass? Mm-hmm. So he begins uh, by trying to act like, I'm, I'm telling you guys something that's important and it's interesting. And then he goes on to lecture about an atheist, which I will say her, yeah, the friendly atheist is actually the one that posts out this stuff. And honestly, I love the fact that he posts out this stuff. We use a lot of it on the Christian Crazy. And what does it even matter if the friendly atheist is posting out videos of you saying things with your own damn mouth? That kind of a thing, right? 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 Greg Locke saying things, though. Okay. So, so there was there has been stuff, a kerfuffle of sorts in the media, uh huh, with what's happening. So, here's what we're going to unpack a bit. This is last Sunday. Okay? Now, this is going to come from an article. Tennessee preacher Greg Locke says, Demons told him the names of witches in his church. (laughs) I just spoiled it. Yeah, from Religion News Services. So, uh, what we're going to talk about here is Greg Locke calling out witches in his church during a Sunday morning service, because
0: why not? We got first and last names of six witches that are in our church. And you know what's strange? Three of you are in this room right now. Three of you in the room right now. You better look at my eyeballs. We ain't afraid of you, you stinking witch. You devil worshiping Satanist witch, we cast you out in the name of Jesus Christ. We break your spells, we break your curse, we got your first name, we got your last name, we even got an address for one of you. So,
1: yeah, like a normal Sunday morning service calling out witches that are in the crowd. Like, my biggest question is like, hey, like, how did he figure out, like,
0: where are them witches? Greg? these witches two of you in my wife's ladies bible study and you know who you are and we gonna ask you to get out or i'll expose you in front of everybody we got all six of their names all six of them two of them had already been confirmed before that thing ever even said it So that thing that he's referring to, that
1: thing that said it is, again, I'm going to hop back to the article from Religion News Service, that Locke told the congregation that he had gotten the names while casting demons out of a woman who had recently begun coming to Global Vision. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So yeah, reliable sources. I was like my pastors who speak with demons, right? Right, right? Well, I mean, once you're bringing this up, I mean, it's kind of a big deal to bring this up in the church, so... What's gonna happen next, Greg? What's your plan
0: for them witches? So you got a choice. You can leave with your spells all by yourself. Or I'll show up next Sunday with a stage full of brooms and I'll give you one and I'll fly your tail up out of this place in the name of Jesus, but we ain't playing your spell casting, witchcraft, nonsense, sage burning games
1: so what this auctioneer for pastor is also laying out is that hey we know six witches in this church and guess what if y'all don't leave i'm gonna say your names next week in church (laughs) you know what this sounds like this doesn't sound like church this sounds like a cliffhanger this sounds like marketing. What will happen next week in Greg Lock's church? Will he bring in a stage full of brooms and in the name of Jesus, make them unwitchified and in their brooms and go flying off <laughs> in the night? What? I don't even really know what he's going for. But the one thing, the one thing I, 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 I somehow am really, really curious about through all of this, through all this craziness is simply this fact. So Greg Locke is talking to demons to get his information about the people that are dissenting in the church against him. So, hmm, gaslighting. So, yes, that is Greg Locke. And, yes, I'm very interested in figuring out if he he calls out these six witches! In the next service, right? Right? Hype, hype. It's good hype. It's good hype. He got the press for it. He knows how to hype stuff by saying crazy crap. And all of that is perfectly fun for the Christian crazy, but none of this has to do with Christianity. None of it. None. So let's get to something a little more edifying, logical, coherent. Yeah, 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 those things. So let's hop in. So if you've been following this show for a bit, you know that we just exited a whole series of shows. We were walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And I I want to try to pivot and continue in that vein. And, and what got me thinking about kind of, let me, I'll kind of lay out the groundwork of where I see that we're going to go over the next couple of weeks. Um, but some of that, comes from this i i was I've been pondering this, this scripture lately and and I don't know um i I think it's something that we that we want to mine out and so this this scripture here comes from second corinthians two fifteen through seventeen okay uh you've probably heard this before it's a very common one but it but part of this scripture has really 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 uh, it's really been kind of gnawing at the back of my head, so let me go ahead and read this so it goes like this: for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to the task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Right? Not peddling the word of God for profit? What? What? Yeah, okay. No, my point is, is really thinking about this idea of, of walking out the ways of Jesus and being this pleasant aroma. Because the thing that we continue to like, go back in week after week, and as we've done so much through the Christian crazy and, and looking through the news, I do not see that pleasant aroma of Jesus being walked out and embodied by Christianity as a whole, especially here in America, especially. Now, I'm not saying, like, on a small scale, people aren't tasting the aroma of of individuals who are walking out Christ in their own lives, but but by and large, it really feels like we are living with a large stench of Christianity, and and I want us to really talk about like, hey, how do we get our groove back? Like, let's put some Febreze to Christianity and try to get some of this aroma back. And and in order to do that, what I want to do, um, and, and which is what's going to kind of encapsulate the next few weeks, is is really talk through spiritual formation and really what does it mean to kind of walk out the simplistic ways of jesus like we talked before Sermon on the mount ethics now we're going to talk about more practical and what it's like to walk this out uh the good the bad the other the easy the difficult all of that and in order to do this and for (laughs) we'll, we'll say this is more of an experiment because there's these two books that have kept coming back to me and and i've had them i've read them But they are coming back, and I'm going to, in some sort of a way, be able to juxtapose the ideas of these very different books, but I think we can kind of blend them together in this discussion. So the first book that we're going to be working through is called Spiritual Theology, The Theology of Yesterday for Spiritual Help Today by Diogenes Allen. And the other book that we're going to be journeying through is Gifts of the Dark Wood, Seven Blessings for Soulful Skeptics by Eric Ellens, by Eric Ellens. So, on one hand, we have a book that's really trying to blend this idea of doctrine and theology and what it looks like walked out in life. And the second book is talking about really spiritual awakenings in those dark places as we journey through life. Okay. So, we've got one that's more practical, kind of, and we've got one that's more heart. And we're going to try to be blending those two things together. And really, what I want to push over these next few weeks is the idea of what it looks like to be. A practicing Christian, not not like an, a practicing American Christian, not any of this, but like in 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 the mold of Jesus, what does practicing his ways look like? Simple, 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 but we don't see that very much these days. So, beginning with this talk, I wanted to hop into that exact question with C.S. Lewis, and this will come from one of his essays. That was entitled, Answers to Questions on Christianity. So this was really uh, adapted from a question and answer session that Lewis had. And so they transcribed these and put these down together in an essay. So the question that he was posed was this. Will you please say how you would define a practicing Christian? Are there any other varieties? So Lewis answers this. Certainly, there are a great many other varieties. It depends, on, of course, on what you mean by practicing Christian. If you mean one who has practiced Christianity in every respect at every moment of his life, then there is only one on record. That's Christ himself. In that sense, there are no practicing Christians, but only Christians who, in varying degrees, try to practice it and fail in varying degrees and then start again. A perfect practicing Christian would, of course, consist in a perfect imitation of the life of Christ. I mean, insofar as it was applicable in one's own particular circumstance. Not in an idiotic sense. uh, It doesn't mean that every Christian should grow a beard or be a bachelor or becoming a traveling preacher. It means that every single act and feeling, every experience, whether pleasant or unpleasant, must be referred to God. It means looking at everything as something that comes from him or her, meaning God. And always looking at him and asking his will first, and saying, "How would he finish? How would he wish me to deal with this?" A kind of picture or pattern, in a very remote way, of the relation between the perfect Christian and his God, would be the relation of the good dog to his master. Uh, this is only a very imperfect picture, though, because the dog hasn't reason, hasn't reason like its master, whereas we do share in God's reason even in an imperfect and, un- and interrupted way. Interrupted because we don't think rationally for a very long time, it's too tiring, and we haven't information to understand things fully, and our intelligence itself has certain limitations. In that way, we are more like God than the dog is like us. Though, of course, there are other ways in which the dog is more like us than we are like God. This is only an illustration. So we're really digging in here to what does an honest practicing Christian look like? Okay, so we have C.S. Lewis this idea that that it is it is this imitation, it's this trial and error, it's this process of moving through all of this, and and none of this is new to everyone because heck, we we were most of you that are probably listening to the show have been through the W.W.J.D. season of life where everything was what was Jesus do here? What would Jesus do? Not a bad question. Not a bad question. I feel like it became something that was just very asinine and mundane after a while. But on the flip side of this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a taste of Peter Rollins as well to him answering kind of this question about what does it mean uh, to, to become or what does it mean to be a Christian, okay? So this comes from Pete Rollins' book, How Not to Speak of God. And he says this, on closer inspection, we find that there is A sense in which those involved in the conversation acknowledging that Christianity involves a process of journeying and becoming. There is a shared understanding that being Christian always involves becoming a Christian. This seems like a rather mundane insight until it's juxtaposed with some of the prevalent ideas surrounding us. We need not look far to find that our religious communities, influenced as they are by the movement known as modernity, have tended to emphasize the idea of being and destination. One becomes a Christian, one joins a church, one is saved. From this idea of destination flows our understanding of evangelism as a means of sharing faith and encouraging others to embrace it for themselves. So, 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 uh, what Rollins is also hammering back at, kind of on the flip side of this, is that, that to be a Christian is to be becoming a Christian. Now, how often times do you hear stuff in church preached about certainty? Certainty, certainty, certainty. Um, And not about becoming, not about learning, not about unfolding. And thus is where we want to be talking about this thing as a journey. That Christianity is a journey that we continue to walk on. Now, going through the book, Spiritual Theology, by Diogenes Allen, he, what he's doing here, and this is, this is what I wanted us to kind of focus on here. So he focuses on this idea of becoming. And he says this, there are three stages in the journey, which is often called the threefold way. So this is the way that, that he's looking at this process of spiritual formation, of growing in Christ, and understanding what it means to embody all of these teachings, right? The threefold way. So the first stage that he has here, the first stage is practice. Okay, so we've got the first stage of practicing this. Now, within practice, we have these three steps of repentance or conversion. Now, we've often heard this talked so much about, oh, it's about uh, uh, saying I'm a sinner and I'm bad and I need God. But really, but really, when we talk about repentance or conversion, it's just the idea that, hey, this is the way I was living. And hey, I want to start doing things differently and, and change paths and change direction of where I'm going because we've made conversion in modern Christianity as a one-time event. When were you saved? As opposed to, I'm constantly being saved. I'm constantly in this place of making sure that I am walking a different way. So in practice, we have the repentance and conversion. Then we have this development of virtue of human excellence, which really is about us learning what does it mean to be (laughs) a virtuous person? What does it mean for us to be a kind person? And so we begin to, like, in this idea, in this whole step of practice, we begin to work through a lot of those heart issues, a lot of those baggage issues that we have within us. And the third step of practice, right? So again, we've decided to go a new way. Number two, we are trying to develop better practices within us. And three, oh, it's love in the neighbor, right? Right? This is pretty simple here. That, that's, that, that's the first stage of this threefold way. Now, the second stage, so after we've been practicing kind of these ideas here, the second stage is what we call contemplation. So in this stage, as, as Diogenes will put this, um, through regular contemplation of the world about us, we are increasingly able to experience all creation as a gift and to discern God's presence in the entire created universe. Or also, as Simone Weil would say it, it is to see God in all things, and all things in God, to discern in and through each created reality the divine presence that is within it, and at the same time, beyond it. It is to treat each thing as a sacrament and to view the whole of nature as God's book. Okay, so we learn simple practices. We begin to contemplate what is happening uh, in the world around us. Where do we fit into this and where is God moving? And the third one, the third one is when we will lean into the practices of the first two in order to be able to experience God. So first, we're working on ourselves. Uh, Secondly, we are seeing where we fit in the world and where God is. And thirdly, it's us experiencing God along the way. So from C.S. Lewis, to Pete Rollins, to Diogenes Allen, we we are seeing this whole nature of a process, of a journey, of a I'm going from here and the road is ahead of me. Because one of the problems that we have made with so much of Christianity, we have made it very destination-based. We've made it very much something to where you go, you put your roots here, you plant yourself there, but the problem is, and I think one of the reasons that we begin to see the fact that Christianity does not have the aroma of Christ is because we've set up stagnation ponds and called them churches. There's not journey to this. There, there's not an ongoing process to this. And, and the third thing I'd mention, which is how we're going to pivot back over toward the, dark, uh, the gifts of the dark wood by Eric uh, Ellens, is that third category, experiencing God along the way and that's 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 the thing that's the thing that i know everybody is always wanting we want to be able to experience god why participate in prayer why go through all of this craziness that we deal with within christianity (laughs) because we want to experience god we we want to be we want to become who we were created to be but in this idea of experiencing god well how does it happen I love how the way that uh, Eric Allens puts it, he puts it this, the Christian mystics understood struggle. Struggle not as a punishment for sin, but as a central context in which revelation takes place. And this is partially where I'm hoping to go over the next few weeks, being able to see something through more of a systematic kind of theology that we're seeing through Diogenes, Allen, but also then going into this more of experiential realm of our hearts too. Whereas we see gifts of the dark wood are going to take us into these territories where we experience God. And oftentimes they are the places <laughs> where we are feeling these different things. It could be emptiness, uncertainty, getting lost, being thunderstruck, temptation, disappearing and becoming a misfit. So we will be clearing through those different ideas over the next couple of weeks as we're trying to meld this together and what it looks like to be spiritually forming and spiritually growing. Now, the reason I brought all of these up um, is because of you. Why? Why do I talk about this? Well, because I am processing through this, and also I know that you are processing through this. And, and a central question, too, back to Rollins' book about how not to talk about God. Uh, I remember he asked, he asked a central question somewhere in the book and talking about when we pursue God, we're always pursuing something. And that he talks about how very rarely do people pursue God because they want to know God better. People really want to pursue God because they want something. Uh, they want to feel like they're better than other people. In meaning that our own our own flaws and human selfishness oftentimes gets in the way of us actually seeking out God and experiencing God. And and for me, Ed, which is why I also connect well with this Gifts of the Dark Wood book is that the times I've experienced God the most, and we'll be talking about a lot of these over the next few weeks, are the times where we have been like the dark night of the soul. But uh, the remembrance of all of this is, is that we are creating a life where we are journeying and we are flowing into becoming who we are supposed to be. Augustine would say uh, the path to knowing oneself is the same as the path to knowing God. So this isn't about us, like, heaven hereafter. No, this is very much grounded in the here and now. This is very much grounded in what is happening now. This isn't any kind of, like, spiritual abstraction, because I think that that is where we have found ourselves in Christianity. We have created a, a religion that is based on ideas, philosophies, and abstract concepts. We don't talk about... The teachings of Jesus and the way is that they are very practical and how they ground us and how they teach us how to handle and deal with others in the world today. See, those things are very, very different. One idea, all this theology stuff, that's abstract. That's abstract. But I'm talking about getting your fingernails dirty kind of stuff, living out life kind of stuff. That's the real stuff. That's the real stuff. And too often do we just assume showing up at church a few times a week ends up making us Christians, ends up being our spiritual formation because we just need to show up at a place and do a certain thing at a certain time. That's not how it works. And so as we talk about kind of beginning on this journey or beginning again on this journey, because I feel like this is a journey of continuous uh, walking and changing and developing and growing, we have to begin to be very honest about where we're at now. Because if we're honest about where we're at right now, it's easier for us to be honest about where we're going or where we want to go. And I remember as a kid sitting in church, growing up around all of whatever it was I was growing up around in conservative Christianity, but I remember being so scared uh, all the time about making decisions, about this idea that somehow there was a perfect path, and if we, if we, if we somehow stumbled or stepped off it oh no we were going to ruin our lives because god had a perfect path for us and it's our job to not screw it up and that's actually completely antithetical to really what what god is doing because one of the beauties that we see through all of this is that god says i love you just as you are i love you right now now let's start to walk and and we'll shed some of those false narratives that people have hung on you we'll shed some of those names that you called or the baggage that you've carried, all those things that pull you away from being yourself, all those things that make you compare yourself to other people and want to be someone that you're not. It's about the journey of becoming you. Not the fake you that they teach you to act like when you're in church, but the you that breathes, the you that's human, the you that God loves. And there's two things that, that I've distinctly learned in in journeying along my path in life, well, the first one is that I believe God likes really good questions. I think God really likes us to wrestle with good questions, and and secondly is that failure that failure can be a great teacher, or or as uh, as Eric, Eric Ellens puts it, could it be that right failure is more important than right belief? So. I've been raging about the weird abstractness of faith. I've been raging about all that I feel like is wrong with faith and really trying to bring us back to what faith is central and what faith is about, because we are going to journey down that road over these next couple weeks together. And that's what I try to do here on this show. That's one of my goals is being able to reframe what does it mean to be to walk with Christ. Now, back in my youth ministry days, which has been many, many ages ago, I used to love reading uh, blog posts uh, from Mike Yaconelli, who is no longer with us anymore, but I loved his honesty, and I want us, just in these last couple moments, to kind of return to the simplicity of really what it means to follow after Jesus, okay? Uh, so he says, look at the disciples. They spent their time with Jesus. He did talk but the disciples never understood a word of what he said. That didn't seem to bother Jesus, by the way. They saw Jesus in action, living his faith, healing, praying, losing his temper, agonizing, dying, and running from fame and power. They witnessed Jesus' relationship with his father, which was turbulent to say the least, everything from gentle prayers to agonizing screams. They watched Jesus taking time for himself, avoiding crowds, refusing to rush people into the kingdom and they noticed that the majority of Jesus' time was spent with them. Oh, and one more thing. Jesus talked about all the issues facing the people of his time, all of them, the future, friendships, prayer, service, dealing with the government, community, servanthood, humility, divorce, lust, poverty, and the priority of following him over family and so on. So looking at the ways of Jesus, let's kind of just break that down, right? So what we just read here, that, that was Jesus's way of discipleship. That's, that was his way of spiritual formation. So what was that again? What was that again? Okay, so let's, let's think about that. Let's think about that, right? Okay, so Jesus spent a lot of time with a small group of people. He created opportunities for them to experience God to know God, to be with God. And he dealt with them as a whole. He didn't look at them and be like, oh, you're standing in this area. No, he was looking at them long-term. How do they need to grow? How do they need to grow into being who they're meant to be, right? Right? And, And what were the hallmarks of Jesus' ministry? Humility, compassion, grace, having a servant's heart. And at the same time, Jesus' ministry with the disciples was very intimate. It was very one-on-one. This wasn't like mega church stuff. This wasn't like let everything explode and look how big we can make it. No. He cared about a small community of people and he facilitated situations for them to be able to experience God. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. I mean, it's, it's a hard path to walk, but really Christianity should continue to be as simple as Jesus made it to be. So I look forward to more of this. I look forward to us digging deeper. I look forward to digging deeper into my story as well as I share this, as we journey along together of trying to figure out what is a healthy, growing, and robust faith look like? Because it certainly does not look like church. But that's okay. Because we're just here to follow the ways of Jesus. Well, that's all I've got this week. Just a reminder that as we finish this broadcast, you can always catch past episodes on podcasts at snarkyfaith.com or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And as I do every week, I send you out into this wild, wide world with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark. The world needs you to be yourself. To be yourself fully, amazingly made. Because we need more of you to be able to change what's going on. That's all I got this week. I will catch you guys again next week. I'm out of here.
0: Peace be with you.
1: Oh, look who's hanging out after the show, expecting some more. You greedy little bastards. You're here because I know I've got more for you. (laughs) Yes, I love you. I love you, each and every one of you. But what I have for you, before we sneak out of here, is your Christian Cringe of the Week.
0: Christian Cringe. (laughs) No!
1: No. And one of our Christian cringe all-stars week after week. If this was the Olympics, she would be getting gold for cringe. This is prophetess cat talking about alcohol in heaven because no one asked. The only wine they have in heaven, it does not have alcohol. Cool. Alcohol this may be a crusher. Just loose it from your soul. No beer, no hard liquor. No. There's not in heaven. Nothing cages, okay. mm-hmm. nothing ferments. It's not going to happen. But you will have Holy Spirit wine to drink. And let me tell you, you'll never have a hangover from it. Mr. Lee, is this you talking or the liquor? Randy, I am the liquor. Oh, yes. Yeah. Sign me up. Sign me up for that distilled Holy Spirit liquor right? Holy Spirit beer, Holy Spirit white claw. Oh my gosh. It's endless. All the things we could do and drinking the Holy Spirit because what, what, why, why are we even talking about the Holy Spirit in this manner? This is the most stupid and ridiculous thing I've heard in a while actually, but you know, cat care, she brings it. She brings it. Girlfriend brings it when it comes to the crazy, because you know, We all know in the Bible that Jesus, in the wedding at Cana, turned the water into grape juice. That was his first act as a Christian. It's true. It checks out. Welch's grape juice. Amen and amen.